This is the fourth Sunday after, or fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and we're working through the, the story of the great patriarchs and matriarchs in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, and we are reading in Matthew's Gospel the parables. So those are the two things I'm going to preach on. I thought I'd leave Romans alone this week. But just remember this as you're reading this now. We're going to have more of Romans for a while. Paul is talking about the flesh and the spirit. And what I said last week will apply when he speaks about it in succeeding weeks if, the, if, the, if that terminology is in the reading. And that is that the flesh... Uh, I spoke about last week as being, uh, or could, could be understood as what Father Thomas Keating says about the false self system, about the location of our greatest concern and anxiety around security and survival, affection and esteem and power and control. And the world of the spirit is the world and the human person that is uh, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. And for, for Father Keating, that would mean that it is our true self. We are not God, but our true self is God. So every time you hear this in Paul, think about that as being something that might help you uh, understand what is going on. There's a church in Vancouver. Uh, it's left the Anglican Church, and the Supreme Court of Canada has now ruled that they won't hear their appeal, and so they have to leave the buildings. Uh, but they have been preaching for the last year on Romans. Hmm. So, God help them. <laughs> <laughs> so let me talk about Genesis. Last week, we're, we're, we still are into Jacob. So last week, we were introduced uh, to uh, Jacob and Esau and uh, Rebecca, their mother, um, Jacob was Rebekah's favorite, and Esau was Isaac's favorite. And Jacob tricks Esau into selling him or giving away his birthright. So we've come to this week, and Esau has had second thoughts about giving away his birthright. And he's angry at Jacob, and Jacob is on the run. He's a fugitive. So remember the theme last week in, in Genesis was, uh, how can God work with these people? They're a pretty mixed group, right? And so the answer was, God can work with anybody and seeks to work with anybody and everybody. So today Jacob is on the run and he's in a place, he lays down and he has a dream. This is a famous story. And when he awakes from the dream... First of all, in the dream, he gets a couple of things that are, that are the sort of thing that if you read the Bible and meditate on it or do, do Lectio Divina from the Holy Scriptures, know that I am with you and will keep you. That would be a takeaway from this text that you could use to understand God's abiding presence with you personally. And later he will say, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the word to the corporate entity, the people of God, God's abiding presence. And 
the main theme of this Sunday for both Matthew and Genesis, and that is the forbearance of God. God's forbearance. More about that in a minute. So Jacob sees this and he decides to uh, give this place a special name. So in one sense, the community out of which these writings emerged, this is really a story about the founding of the shrine at Bethel. And at the end, he said, I'm going to name this place. God is present here. I'm going to name it Bethel. If you read it in Hebrew, Beth, dwelling place, house, El, God, Bethel, of God. So El was one of the names that in the ancient Near East or in that neck of the woods uh, they used for God. So that is what it is. Now Jacob is on the run. He has no wife, he has no children, and he has no land. And so God has said, I am choosing you. You are going to be part of my purposes. So next week we're going to read about J Jacob wrestling with God. We're going to read about Rachel, one of his wives. He gets tricked by his future father-in-law, Laban. So he's married, he had to marry both sisters. Boy, you know. So then he begins to start his family. And he begins now to move towards the denouement, right? With Esau. And what's going to happen? Can God work with these people? And the answer is yes, God can work with these people and does. God works with you and me. Now this is going to have a fuller meaning, I think, in the, in the gospel. Because today we have the parable of the wheat and the weeds. In the old days, we used to refer to this as the parable of the tares and the wheat. So, weeds are probably more understandable to most people these days, but I sort of like tares better because it's an older thing. But, you know, Episcopalians always err on the side, particularly the clergy, of obscure things as opposed to clear things. So you'll have to forgive me about that. But it's a story about uh, somebody who plants a field and uh, he uses good seed and then somebody comes in at night and sows some weeds in the wheat. Remember, I'll say this again, someone told me once one of these or some horticultural magazine, uh, a book. I think, there, have you ever read anything by Michael Pollan who writes about gardening and everything? Yes. Uh, a weed is a plant that's just in the wrong place. <laughs> so that's what we think about. Uh, we don't always think about that in terms of weeds. The best story he told was when he wrote a whole chapter on lawns and how lawns in the United States became popular after the Civil War and the Scots Lawn Seed Company came into business and said we all have to have a lawn. And so we started having lawns. So when he was a kid in Long, on Long Island, 
his father one summer decided that he wasn't going to mow the lawn. He was going to leave the lawn unmowed. And so the lawn started to get like this high, and it got to the place where it was the seeds were coming out, you know, from the lawn, the grass. And the front yard was full of this lawn that was this high. And the neighbors, this is the 1950s when I grew up, were fit to be tied. And so finally they deputed a member of their group in the neighborhood to come and ring the doorbell and tell Michael Pollan's father that he needed to mow his lawn. He was running down the value of the property of everybody in that area, and he had to take responsibility as a good citizen to mow the lawn. He said, my father never said a word. He went to the garage, and he fired up the lawnmower, and he went to the front lawn, and he mowed his initials in the lawn, <laughs> shut the motor off, and put it back in the garage. <laughs> That's a parable. <laughs> Matthew's Gospel today talks about this and that when uh, some people come to the guy who sowed the seed, the wheat, uh, he said, you, you can't pull it up now because you don't know what's weeds and what's the wheat. So wait till the harvest comes to maturity and then we'll know. Last week I said when you read the parables in the New Testament, the parables of Jesus, there are three levels that you have to understand them or, or you can understand them from. One is, what did Jesus mean when he spoke it? What did the community that reproduced the parable for, the, for posterity interpret it to mean for them? And what do we mean by it? How do we make use of it? So as you become more, more schooled in, in uh, biblical knowledge, you'll discover that usually there is the parable as Jesus spoke it. And that's normally at the very beginning. So the first paragraph or so today of the reading from the gospel is Jesus speaking. The authentic words of Jesus, the parable. And then... When we get to the section where the disciples follow him to the house and they say, explain to us the parable of the weeds and the wheat. That's Matthew. Matthew is now interpreting this parable for them. The gospel is good news. And it's good news brought up to date for the communities out of which the gospels emerged. So we're talking about maybe two generations later from the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. So what form and shape will this interpretation take after we've read about it in Jesus' thing? Jesus is facing this reality. Here's the situation on the ground for Jesus. Jesus has begun in his earthly ministry to eat with, to associate and consort with unsuitable people. He is eating and observing table fellowship with people who do not observe the Jewish dietary laws. He is eating with people who are considered outcasts in his society as a faithful, pious Jew, tax collectors, 
prostitutes, people who are not observant in their religious undertakings. And he's being criticized for this by the religious leadership. And so what he's saying in this parable when he's speaking it is, you know what, you're too quick to rush to judgment. And we don't know what God's purposes are. And maybe, in so many words, it's a good plan for us to be somewhat agnostic about who's in and who's out. And so my purpose in my earthly ministry is to model for you the values of the kingdom of God, which are the affirmation that we can see and verify in our own sacred literature, what we call the Old Testament, that God has announced from a long time ago that the saving embrace of God is not just for a select few or for the people of the covenant only, it is for everyone. And my ministry on earth is to make the announcement that now is the time and as we move forward for us to model that behavior. So when I sit down and I eat with people who are not suitable, this is kind of modeling for you all as you move forward. Because you are people of the covenant, of this relationship with God, you are not vested with spiritual privileges or special privileges. You are vested with particular responsibilities and opportunities. And so I'm here to say that and to model it for you. So now we have the community of faith. We have Matthew's community. And we're beginning now to say, we've got a church community that is full of all different kinds of people. And I've said to you over and over again recently that in Matthew's case, a rabbi who, became a, who be, believed in the Messiahship of Jesus is leading a Christian synagogue that has now become 80% Gentile. And so the pious Jews in his community are upset because of all these Gentiles. And the Gentiles are upset because the Jews think, or some of them, that they've got to do all the things that a pious Jew does in order to be part of the group that accepts the Messiahship of Jesus. And how do we all live together? And furthermore, how do we deal with people in our community who don't appear, um, in my opinion, to be fully converted or whose behavior is disruptive and difficult? <coughs> Parish life, 85 A.D., Right? What do you do with difficult people? I think that's been a I think that has been a difficulty in the Christian church from the jump, you know. And the interesting thing about that is that there's more than one strategy to handle that. A lot of times there there is the view that oh well that's where these people belong. Difficult people, we're all happy to have them here. And I suspect on one level that's true. But on another level, how much of that behavior do you need or want to put up with? And do you need to? Right? But it's always a tension, isn't it? And so the question is, uh, what's going to happen in terms of excluding? Uh, Reginald Fuller, the great New Testament scholar who died about four years ago in his 90s, uh, said the community of Matthew's gospel was a corpus per mixtum. I love stuff like another obscure thing, right? A mixed body. A mixed bag. 
and so are most people. Well, who gets in and who gets out? And in the interpretation of the parable, it's you need to exercise some patience, forbearance. And Jesus speaks about forbearance when he begins to speak. What does forbearance mean? Well, forbearance can mean um, not, well, here's, I wrote some stuff down about it. It can mean withholding enforcement. This is Merriam-Webster. Withholding enforcement as in forgiving a debt. It can mean leniency. And it can mean patience. The priest I began my ministry with in Tucson, Arizona, said one time, everybody, everybody needs a break once in a while. Have you ever met anybody who believes that somebody, people shouldn't get a break? Sometimes there are people that are very upright and feel keenly that uh, you need to uh, dot the I's and cross the T's. Does anybody ever need a break, a little leniency, a little uh, withholding of punishment? And the judgment of the interpretation is, yes, indeed, uh, that is the case. Sometimes it, it's true. And you and I ought not to uh, rush to judgment about who's in and who's out or who we exclude. This is perhaps one of the most important issues that is facing the Episcopal Church, or has for a, a while now. And there are some people who just simply believe that we need to be very, very clear about who's in and who's out, and who's acceptable and who's unacceptable. And there are other Episcopalians, I happen to believe in the majority, who say it's our job to err always on the side of inclusion. Always. And to say, you know, it's not up to us to judge this. It's up to God to do that. And so in our community life, we need to have order. We need to have some boundaries. We need to have some clarity of thinking about a number of things. But we always err on the side of inclusion and listen to some of the voices that perhaps uh, have not been as pronounced in the past. That's what we're doing, by the way, reading these readings now in the Revised Common Lectionary. So this week, give thanks for uh, the forbearance of God. And give thanks for the opportunity to be an instrument of God's forbearance in the world. Amen.